that's not. <laughs> no, that's not supposed to happen. This is not real. Here, let's let's let's, let's uh let's put this one on instead. <laughs> Oh man! Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, you never, never since 2006 have I started a show off like that. Friends, you, congratulations! You're here to see it first. <laughs> oh man! I canceled out the bubbling. I went to go cancel out the the soft sound of bubbling. Because I just wanted something to mix up and match with the um, the lava lamps that are just kind of gurgling and uh, and percolating on screen there. Just something that just matches the mood a little bit until the until the music comes in. Then the music comes in, and I went to go click away the bubbling uh, music, and I clicked away the actual opening theme. So that's where the the awkward complete cutout in music came from and congratulations you've witnessed history here tonight all right well welcome to the show it is 6 55 p.m on the east coast my name is frank this is quite frankly the pre-show plenty of things to do tonight before we have a little bit of an early exit we have session one that should be session one of four for the book club brave new world aldous huxley with Jay Dyer as the co-host throughout. So um, I'm, I can't wait for this one. For chapters one through three are one hell of a table setter. One hell of a table setter. And already you're seeing, oh no. Oh no, we're, we're way more than halfway there. Yes. That's why I say 1984 is great when you're reading... Uh, you're reading 1984, you're reading Animal Farm, things like that, and you're getting a little bit more of a sense of, yeah, how the hierarchy of things plays out. You get a lot more on endless wars and how they are meant to gaslight you and demoralize you and completely make you feel like uh, you, you can just be told anything. It doesn't matter. Then, of course, there's the Ministry of Truth aspect where you can see information memory hold switched up on you to be in a constant state of confusion it really is about information warfare for the most part obviously there's supply lines there's the the reconfiguring of the entire world geopolitically in, in 1984 but this one brave new world when we start getting into we start getting into the genetics of a stable society boy that's tonight, ladies and gents. That is tonight. So I'm happy that you're here with me right now. And uh, there's plenty more to do. There's plenty more to do. On this Monday evening edition, we're going to do a little bit of a grab bag. Uh, we're going to put a little bit more attention on two topics in particular, though. One of them is, well, I have to talk about, I have a, a quick thing about Joe Biden that is just perfect timing. It always happens like this. Uh, uh, some comments I made on the morning show with Tracy, and then now we have a comment from Joe Biden on the very same day. Can't remember the last time anybody even referenced his brain surgeries before this morning, 
and uh, and then he goes off and uh, talks about how the the top of his skull was taken off twice, and it's just I, I don't know. I must be in the zone right now because t- for me to be able to put that out there and have it come back, it's pretty incredible. Anyway, we have that. I wanted to talk about robots. Robots that sculpt and paint. Is it art? We'll talk about that. Then we have a recent flurry of stories about 15-minute cities. Obviously, the anti-conspiracy theory squad is coming very, very hard for the the detractors with knives out. So we're going to talk about what the 15-minute cities are, the people who say there's nothing to worry about, the people who say that there is. We're going to take some of your calls on that. And, uh, and, and, and then also a little bit of a juxtaposition of what Trump has been talking about lately with his Agenda 47. Um, you know, even when he was running in 2016, I didn't really think that the tariffs thing is, the whole trade war thing is really necessary. You don't have to go and throw, uh, you know, throw, pin China or anybody up against the wall with tariffs if you make it impossible for people to want to open up businesses and manufacturing plants anywhere else but here. Stop destroying entrepreneurs and business owners and manufacturers here at home stop taxing and regulating them to death and they won't want to go anywhere else and we build things better than anybody else or at least we have the opportunity to so but alongside of all this this agenda 47 stuff i'm reading is that trump uh is is down for the creation or creating a situation creating an environment where so-called freedom cities can be built so maybe we'll get into that in the second half if we if we have time. So it kind of all ties together. And it's just a Monday. So if you call in or if you send in a Super Chat, which you can on, quite frankly, superchat.com or the Rumble Rants or the Gold Pills, just tell me what the hell you observed over the weekend. What were your big takeaways? How how'd you do? How'd you do this weekend? I think I did pretty good. Had a good workout on Saturday. Hung out, didn't do much of anything on Saturday night. We just fed the baby, put her to bed when it was time, and there was just me and Lauren from like 7.30 on watching movies. Watched two movies on Saturday night. I had not seen Orange County in a very long time, and it brought me back, and it holds up. It's still funny. Orange County is still funny. Great cast. And then I watched Moneyball. Lauren dipped out around like a third of the way through. So I just sat there and I, I watched Moneyball by myself for the last two thirds, but that's what I did. You can tell me what you did, and that'll be later on. All right, all right. Thank you to my sponsors, Blue Monster Prep. Go to bluemonsterprep.com and take a look around. Plenty going on there, especially, especially now with all of their generators, their power generators. They are all solar, so they're quiet. Uh, they take a little bit charging, but obviously uh, they're going to be uh, they're going to be a pretty good, pretty good resource in a world that maybe even gas would become short if there is a a breakdown. So if you're ever wondering about things like power generation, go to BlueMonsterPrep.com and you can talk to them. I think they're doing they're trying to come up with some good ways for payment options because they are a little bit on the pricey side, as are all good generators. So you go check it out. That and everything else. You need some some storable food, need some water filtration, a couple of walkie-talkies that are long range. It's all there. Get your prepping needs out of the way 
It's insurance. You must do it. All right. First one up is from the New York Post. That's not right. That's not right. And this is good to go. City probing an anti-white text message uh, uh, thread linked to a black superintendent. This is in Staten Island. The city's investigating widely circulated screenshots of anti-white text purportedly written by the black superintendent for Staten Island. Their schools, officials told the Post. The inflammatory text vowing to get rid of white principles and, quote, clean up this island. This, this They used to call Staten Island Staten Italy. Used to be called Staten Italy. No more. Got to clean it up a bit. And attributed to District 31 Superintendent Marion Wilson. That's who was saying it. These screenshots were sent in emails to Chancellor Banks and other Department of Education and city officials from the encrypted email address MikeyBoy70 at ProtonMail.com. A message sent there got no response. The screenshots, which two principals forwarded to the post, are troubling. No more white principals on my watch, says one text under Wilson's name. I need to clean up this island, another text reads. White folks need to recognize this is not the boys club anymore. A strong black woman runs this bitch now, and they can either get on board or get out. I, I, would, I would say get out. Get out of the schools. Get out of the schools. It doesn't matter what the hell she's saying. Just get the hell out of the schools. Get out of there. If they don't get out, I'm going to take them out one by one. If they're not going to know what hit them, going to be fun. Now, it is so over the top. I, I, I say, let's just wait a second. Because I wouldn't be surprised if she's that proud of herself and stupid. Or if it's uh, if it's not real, but we'll see. It's been out there for a little while now, and still nothing is uh, is walking it back. So it's just uh, it goes on and on and on, and just another another reason to make sure that you can wherever wherever you can you can put some attention, get your children away from the meat eating public and private school system. Page six. Prince Harry says psychedelics are a fundamental part of his life. It would have to be for mine, too, if I was married to that uh, that bratty American tourist. Prince Harry recently spoke openly about his recreational use of psychedelics. The Duke of Sussex, 38 years old, revealed during an online chat with trauma expert Gabor Mate on Saturday that drugs have helped him deal with his past traumas. I would love to know more about those. It was the cleaning of the windscreen, the removal of life's filters, these layers of filters. It removed it for all of me and brought me a sense of relaxation, relief, comfort, a lightness that I managed to hold back for a period of time. And then, of course, he married Megan, the bratty American tourist who just did not go and, uh, and put a collar around his neck. And now he's just a really pathetic sight, truly pathetic person. Um... Imagine escaping the royal family and ending up with with Megan. That sucks. That is a rock and a hard place right there. All right, here's a little bit more. Since we're talking about um, the UK and people from there, Prince Harry's not the only one on drugs in the UK. Here's from the summit, Summit News, Paul Joseph Watson. 
UK considered mandating killing all of the pet cats in the country to stop COVID. UK health authorities considered ordering the euthanization of all pet cats in the country during the first COVID outbreak. It has now been revealed. Ex-Deputy Health Minister Lord James Bethel made the admission while trying to argue that governments were caught unaware in how to respond to the virus, remarking, we shouldn't forget how little we understood about this disease. Right, right. Always remember, we didn't know anything, and we were only trying to do the best by you. Okay? Mistakes were made, but they were made with the utmost level of compassion and love. There was a moment we were very unclear about whether domestic pets could transmit the disease, he said. In fact, there was an idea at one moment that we might have to ask the public to exterminate all the cats in Britain. Can you imagine what would have happened if we if we had wanted to do that? What would, Can you imagine what would have happened if we wanted to kill all your cats? It, I mean, obviously we would have had to done it. Once we make up our minds, we have to do it, but it would be very sad, don't you? Don't you agree? So thankfully they didn't have to go that far, but you know, we must be ready to do what must be done. Actually, I have a clip of him saying it right over here. Uh, listen to this, uh, this idiot, Lord Bethel. There was a moment when we were very unclear about whether domestic pets or not could, could transmit the disease. In fact, there was an idea at one moment that we may have to ask the public to exterminate all the cats in Britain. <laughs> you imagine what would have happened if we had wanted to do that, and yet there was... If we had wanted to do... Can you imagine? If we had wanted to do that, obviously we could have never stopped ourselves or rethought the thought. I mean, it would have just have been an unstoppable train at that moment and everybody's cats would have been killed. And if they didn't kill their cats, we would have arrested them and then killed the cats for them because we needed to survive. We knew so little, you see. For a moment, a little bit of evidence about that. So that had to be investigated and closed down. You're such a dumbass. They're all so fucking dumb and um, and bloodthirsty and reckless and evil. Okay. Got that one out of the way. We did that. We got Staten Island. No longer Staten Italy. Prince Harry is on psychedelics. The cat killer in chief over there in the UK. Oh, and then now this one. Now this one. We have this from Yahoo. It says Yahoo Sports. I don't know why. Yahoo Sports talking about Donald Trump and CPAC. And the exit polls are the straw polls over there. Trump overwhelmingly wins CPAC's Republican primary straw poll with DeSantis coming in a distant second. Good. Can we stop now? Can we stop? Okay. Former President Donald Trump topped the Conservative Political Action Conference straw poll for the 2024 GOP nomination by wide margin at the Conservative Conference Saturday. Trump won 62% in the poll, which was announced shortly before he was scheduled to speak to the crowd gathered at Gaylord in Fort Washington, Maryland. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came in second 
with 20% support. The third place pick at 5% was long shot GOP candidate Perry Johnson. What? Well, what What about the other one? What about the girl? Pastor Prime. I guess she was Pastor Prime. I guess she was. What was the girl's name again? The third place pick at 5%, Perry Johnson, don't even know who the hell that is, a businessman who attempted to run for governor in Michigan but was blocked from participating in the Republican primary. I wonder what that means. Carrie Lake, the Republican Arizona gubernatorial nominee in 2022, received the most support for vice presidential candidate with 20%. DeSantis re- uh, received 14% for 2024 vice presidential, presidential nominee in the CPAC poll. Over 2,000 attendees completed the poll, organizers said. Now listen. Listen. I don't know. I seriously don't have the inside baseball on the whole DeSantis thing. Uh, somebody must know something, I would hope, for all of the food fighting and the venom spitting that's been going on between, well, mainly just from Trump to DeSantis. DeSantis has kind of been mum, but at the same time, he's not really said one thing or another about whether he's going to throw his his hat into the ring for 2024, but it's so ridiculous. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't get into, I haven't really gotten into all that nonsense because I don't care, to be totally honest. Um, but I, I really hope that we can stop. Obviously, we won't. I really hope we can stop with this whole Trump fatigue thing. I wish the Lincoln Project Republicans out there and all of their friends at Drudge Report would stop with the constant Trump fatigue. All right? The, the, the Trump fatigue, DeSantis rising stuff. Stop it. Okay? People are sick of the media feud with Trump. They're sick of the media feud with Trump, all right? He's still wildly popular. He has a he has a few issues, but DeSantis is not one of them. I really hope that this shit stops because it's so pathetic, all right? The only thing people are sick of is media behavior, corporate media behavior. Everybody else is trying to have a good time, damn it. But uh, one of those issues... And one of those issues that, uh, that, that Trump has, uh, obviously, is that anyone who is really paying attention to 2020 and 2022 elections should have grave doubts about how, you know, how there's going to be a shot to overcome the cheating. Because the media, the governorships, the mail-in voting operations, the judges, and almost the, uh, the, the they're almost entirely still in place. And, um, and have up until now shown absolutely no remorse for what they've done and what they'll continue to do. Whether it's the branding of the big lie and all that other stuff, that's the biggest thing. It's how do you give people that you need to be confident and enthusiastic the confidence and to say, well, Republicans are doing a good job in all these states, um, you know, looking into and practicing their own vo- voter ballot, uh, voter harvesting operations. Oh, great. So then it really is one big food fight. Then what the hell's the... Okay, then harvest one for me. Do I even need to vote? Can you please harvest a vote for me? Just harvest a vote for me. I won't even vote. You know, that that's the that's the big issue. And it's not even really Trump's fault. What, what can one guy do to fix all the, the problems in these individual states? Um, you know, so that that's a big problem. Other than that, Ron DeSantis... Uh, he is in the last term of the final final term he can have in the 
in the state of Florida. I don't, I don't know why. You know, I think that the greatest thing that anybody can do at this point is focus in on what you can do locally. What is your governor doing, your state legislature, but even more so, farther down the line, your sheriff, your city council, your mayors, what what's going on down there? And for Ron DeSantis to be uh, in the last, have having been reelected for the last time that the Florida Constitution allows, there should be just nothing. There should be no thoughts about D.C. When already, how many hundreds of thousands of people have gone to have gone to Florida alone because of the environment that has been created by local government government down there? And much of it wears his face. He's the face of a lot of it because he was he became synonymous with what the Florida state government was doing to uh, to to get the everybody down there through the thick of uh, the last couple of years. It's just so ridiculous to think. I mean, that is an act of real. I mean, that's delinquency. That's neglect. That is some real bad shit. If he actually left before his term was even a month before his term was over, that's a, that's some real bad shit. That that goes to know that there's a there's a paycheck, there's a paycheck, a much bigger paycheck somewhere down the line because there is no point in investing any kind of real talent into trying to make long term progress on the federal level. It's not to, to me doesn't make any any, any sense, any sense. So hopefully all this nonsense will be done with, but it won't be. It's only 2023 and it's not even, uh, it's not even spring 2023. So it's only getting started. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Share the show for me if you can. That would be a wonderful, wonderful help. If you're watching on YouTube and Rumble, please give us a nice big fat like. Let's get the both streams past a thousand likes because it is, it'll do huge things for us on YouTube and even bigger things for us on Rumble. So thank you guys and gals, we'll be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, welcome. Yeah, see, like Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake going in and throwing her uh, her name into consideration for a vice president or making herself available for it makes total sense. 
makes total sense because you know she's she just fought like hell down in uh, in her state of Arizona, and obviously that went the way it did. So what does she do for the next two years? Uh, why not? Why not? You're at the peak of your popularity, and um, and go for it, Ron DeSantis thing. I don't know. Maybe you if you guys know, did I miss something? Uh, did he declare? Has he? Uh, you know what is it? What is it? Because if he did, obviously he's an asshole. Total asshole if he did. Mainly because of what he's doing to Floridians. He'd be a total asshole. Outside of that, I don't care. He can waste all of his time running against Donald Trump and losing. Whatever. Do it. Do whatever the hell you want. But you'd be a real asshole to Floridians. So, um... Let's get into some other things. This is one thing I wanted to bring up from this morning. Now, on Dark to Light, I don't even know how we how it came up, but I, I had mentioned that one day, one day years ago, somebody had called into this show and they had they had some firsthand experience, I think either talking to the doctor, somebody who had removed parts of Biden's brain. They called in, and like I said this morning, I am not a journalist. I reserve the right to get things wrong. I am a theory dealer, all right? This is a show for elevator pitch theories. You give me a theory, I'll give you a theory. What'd you hear? What'd you hear? Yeah, that's right. We are the international bazaar of theory peddling over here. So don't throw anything journalistic integrity my way. That being said, Joe Biden's missing a huge portion of his brain. According to a caller whose name I don't remember from years ago. And I brought that up. I brought that up this morning with Tracy and she got a real kick out of it because of how serious I was in in saying that this is this is really the case. And no, I mean, it, it took just a couple of hours. This is just incredible. I'm sure it'll come up on Wednesday morning at 830. This is just a couple hours later here, this afternoon. Biden. Doctors had to take the top of my head off a couple of times to see if I had a brain. But they didn't find anything, One says one observer. Well, Joe Biden has made some outlandish statements during his decades and decades as part of Washington establishment. This is from WorldNet Daily. There, uh, there was his comment about firing two warning shots with a shotgun. His encouragement for a supporter confined to a wheelchair to stand up. <laughs> and just recently he told about one nurse who would whisper in his ear to make sure there was a human connection. Some of his stories simply cannot have happened. Others raise huge questions about his nurse claim. His nurse, Biden said, I had a nurse named Pearl Nelson. She'd come in and do things I don't think you learn in nursing school. She'd whisper in my ear. I couldn't understand, but she'd whisper and she'd lean down and actually breathe on me to make sure there was a human connection. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's probably better better than the, the treatment that you get in an American hospital these days um, to have a nurse come up to you and just just breathe. I'm just making sure we still have a connection here, sir. Now comes a new frontier for Biden's soliloquies. He said doctors had to take the top of his head off a couple of times in order to see if I had a brain. Now, that the last part was his his joke. Republicans definitely would want to know the answer to Biden's question is the 2024 presidential. Um, but 
he had these terrible headaches. He said, I had these terrible headaches, was diagnosed with having a, well, uh, they had to take the top of my, it was an aneurysm. That's what the caller was saying years ago. Said he had an aneurysm problem and they went in there and they removed like 30% of his brain. <laughs> she said it was a significant portion. <laughs> Uh, CNN had just reported that Jill Biden had rejected the idea that her husband's mental fitness should be examined. That's ridiculous, she charged in a CNN interview. We would never even discuss something like that. It was Robert Spencer at PJ Media who commented on Biden's linguistics when he talked about the nurse whisperer. He said the following. Old Joe Biden has been in politics for over half a century, and before the onset of his dementia, he could be fluid and occasionally effective public speaker, although he was never as charming or compelling as he clearly believed himself to be. But as he aged, the doddering corruptocrat, who pretends to be president of the United States, has lost whatever ability he ever had to move an audience, he wrote. Now, more often than not, he tries for an emotional effect and only manages to come off as weird. As with his bizarre habit of whispering points, he wanted to get... Uh, yes, I hate the whispering. I hate it. I hate the whispering. It's the creepiest thing. That's like that's like torture dungeon weird. Whispering points, he wants to give particular emphasis. I'd rather him yell. But old Joe has never been weirder than he was on Tuesday in Virginia Beach. That story apparently related to a time in 1988 when he suffered two brain aneurysms. He said, you lie there in the ICU, which I've done for a long time, and you look at those machines, and you know if the line goes flat, that's over. But you just get tired, and you don't care. Then he recalled Pearl Nelson. So I wanna, I'll, play, I'll play it for you over here. I just thought that the timing was uh, incredible. Here it is. And I had uh, these terrible headaches, was diagnosed with... Having a, a uh, anyway, they had to take the top of my head off a couple times, <laughs> see if I had a brain. And yeah, he couldn't remember the word aneurysm. That's why he sputtered out there. He couldn't remember the word aneurysm. Uh, if that had happened to me, it's the only word I'd ever know. Be thinking about it constantly, to be honest. It's, it's really frightening. These are things that I don't think are funny. But, um... But obviously, he's all right now. Well, here's another one. Uh, Since we're talking about brains and people who have damage, the Fetterman thing, I just want to ask you all, do you think that they're going to try? How how far do you think that they can push it? What is the threshold for pushing this to a certain place where they can, I don't know, is there an advantage for keeping John Fetterman on the shelf, signing legislation, from inside of a mental hospital and nobody seeing him for months. How long? How long? Because you know if you break a bone, you're going to be laid up for about six to eight weeks. You'll be in a wheelchair if it's a broken leg. If you have the upper body strength to start the crutches, then whatever. But this is something different. Daily Mail. So human, so kind, so cute. John Fetterman's wife celebrates his recovery as the Democrat senator is seeing seen pouring over legislation in break from clinical depression treatment at Walter Reed. Walter Reed. Good job, Daily Mail. So human, so kind, so cute. As he's there with his grippy socks signing legislation in a mental institution. 
The Pennsylvania senator checked himself into the uh, into the treatment February 16th. His staff says John is well on his way to recovery and will be back soon. Oh, great. He's about to break th- break free of his clinical depression. Anybody else out there ever felt the, uh, the, the, the lick, the kiss of depression? That's all. Just just takes a just takes a, a couple of couple of sessions at Walter Reed and you're fine. The public has its first sighting of Senator John Fetterman since he checked himself into the hospital for clinical depression in photos posted by his chief of staff on Monday. The Pennsylvania Democrat entered Walter Reed Medical Center 18 days ago on February 16th, leaving him absent on crucial Senate votes. But his staff says that they have been in contact with him regularly on work matters. Quote, productive morning. Here it is. We're getting there. Productive morning with Senator Fetterman at Walter Reed discussing the rail safety legislation, Farm Bill and other Senate business, Chief of Staff Adam Gentleson wrote in a tweet along with photos of him and Fetterman looking over documents. There you go. There he is reading the documents. Just good day of work. There he is asking what these what these symbols are at the end of every sentence. It's punctuation marks. And then there, then there, I don't know. I don't know. Asking him who he is. So that's happening. Very weird. We're in an off, off really, really weird. I think it's dystopian. I think it's very dystopian how little people care. I think it's very dystopian. I know that there are those of us out here who think that this is, uh, this is all a freak show and it's more and more disturbing and obviously it's it's upsetting that the more we notice and the more we tie together and the bigger and uglier the picture becomes before us there is even more there is even less that we can do there's even just the less that we can do and i think that that has led to a lot of despondency and uh indifference Dare I say, dare I say, black-pilled. Not me, per se, but this is, um, you see these things. You see the president, he has his, he's missing a brain. Fetterman, we have that whole story. Man, it's just, it makes no sense. You know what I mean? That's just what we're, we're dealing with here. Very weird stuff. All right, well, getting away from that and into something that we can really sink our teeth into and talk because I want people calling in 914-595-6953. Let me know how your weekend went and how you're doing right now. Here's the first question I have for you. I was reading this article from ABC News or CBS. It came by my dash just over the weekend, but it's a few weeks old. It's from January. Here's the headline. Could robots do the work of master marble sculptors? This one is 99% here according to its creator let's take a look at this for a second um you have this in carrara italy a remarkable innovation is changing the way timeless art is created for centuries italy's uh, world famous carrara marble has been used to make some of the most iconic sculptures in history it was the marble that iconic artists used including michelangelo uh, Canova, they spent hundreds of hours turning into masterpieces, these pieces of marble. Now it's also the marble wrought into sculptures by 1L. That's what they call this machine, 1L. The 13-foot zinc alloy robot is doing the work of an army of Renaissance sculptures, according to Giacomo Massari. 
the owner of Robotor, a company behind the invention. We watched as his creation worked to create another, Venus Sculpture. Uh, I think it's going to take about four days, Masari told CBS News, four days to create a Venus. Before 1L got the job, when human hands had to hew the raw stone, he said it would have taken a couple of months, and of course, 1L doesn't go on a holiday, doesn't even sleep. To craft statues at an industrial scale and speed, 1L's cutting surface are coated within a synthetic diamond powder. It works in the very hills of Carrara, where Michelangelo sourced the marble for his David and Pietà. Today, art stars, including Jeff Koons, Maurizio Catalan, are working closely with Masari. First to transform their ideas into 3D images and then to get them sculpted into blockbusters of their own with a precision that's superhuman. In some ways, it's like a Photoshop for sculpture. It saves a lot of waste, says Masari. If something that is wrong or you don't like it, you can just go back. The cool thing about this technology is that we allow the artist to think without any limits. It's all based on a synergy of software and robotics that might in itself be the real work of art. Uh, but what would Masari say to an artist, uh, an art purist who might be scandalized by the concept? Robot technology doesn't steal the job of the humans, but it improves it, he told CBS News. That's part of what I want to ask you tonight. Some humans might disagree. In the workshop of Florence Cathedral, sculptors like Lorenzo uh, Calcini, Calcini have toiled to maintain and repair the cathedral's vast inventory of marble statues for centuries, the old-fashioned way. Quote, we risk forgetting how to work with our hands, Calcini said. I hope that a certain know-how and knowledge will always remain, although the more we move forward, the harder it will be to preserve it. But even he admits that his, his profession cannot remain anchored to old technology. The outsourcing, but yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah, it, it, it should. I mean, what, whatever the old technology, as long as it's being crafted by human hands, do you want to go from the chisel to something else, uh, a little bit of a sawzall, whatever, as long as the human, something is actually carving it, it's all right to use power tools to be able to achieve things that you could only do if you had hammer and chisel back in the day. But the real question here is, Where's the value in having a machine just sculpt you a Venus? Now, if you don't care about about it being handmade or anything like that, and you just want something in your sculpture garden at uh, wherever the hell you are in Briarcliff, um, then 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 that's that's something else. But I don't know how this doesn't increase the value of a person who is working by a sculptor who's working by hand. The other thing about this, too, is going back to what it said, uh, this article had said not too long ago. Where the hell is it? Uh, Let's see here. That the real art is probably inside of the machinery itself and of the programming. This is not a... This is not a, 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 a robot that just came to life and taught itself how to how to create some kind of a sculpture or to 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 create some kind of a piece out of a solid block of stone whether it be granite or whether it be marble or anything else what whatever a human did create this machine and the programming that made it act with such precision 
that in itself is pretty incredible. But uh, so d- d- by default, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's able to program the machine and have the machine built would be able to create the stone structure itself. You know, if you were a a sculptor who went out and, you know, you have all of your years under your belt and now you want to go into robotics and you want to see if you can actually train a robot to sculpt like you do, then you come out with something that is, you know, comparable. That's interesting. That that could be art by default. You're using a different tool instead of a, a chisel, a hammer, or in other cases, a brush. But if, if you can't sculpt it yourself and you're just creating a computer program that goes out there and has it, it's still an amazing feat as far as technology goes. But is that considered art? Is it? Is it? Is it? Because a lot of the things that are created by humans directly these days that, that pass for art is just usually a steaming pile of dog crap. So there is a level of subjectivity there, and there is our aversion to giving up these kind of finer human uh, skills and disciplines to machines and computers. So I definitely want to know what you think about that. Let's take a really quick break. We come back, and I want to talk about 15-minute cities. That'll give your brain some time to start percolating. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hello. You gave me too much money. Huh? It's not going to cost all this. Have you got two tens for a five? Just so happen to have it. That's it. Now, <laughs> that Elizabeth, I oh, like her. She's a regular scout, that's why. <laughs> that's a woman that knows her stuff. Now, let's see the baggage room in the baggage room is around here somewhere. Look, you know where it is? Just a minute. All right, what's wrong? Just a minute. Fifteen dollars went south. <laughs> you gave me a lot of your fast talking. I'll take it have easy. you got two pence for five? I mean, like I said, I'll give you two pence for five over there. Wait a minute. Are you accusing me of cheating? No, but you got two tens. Uh, here's your five. Give me back my two tens. Now get... Here, here's two pens. Give me a five. Huh? <laughs> you did it to me. <laughs> you again. Tens for a five. So 15 minute cities. This is the other thing I want to talk about. I'm sure it's not the last time. I would love to have somebody like a Clyde Lewis on for to talk about this in depth. I know we have a lot of friends that could probably talk about this, no doubt. That or bring Alana Freeland back on. She's been talking about this and smart cities for a lot. I I don't see the difference between this and smart cities. Maybe because smart cities have gotten so badly slandered, and rightfully so, that they've been rebranded in some way. Anyway, here's some of the gatekeeping 
and the um, the firewalling that's been going on inside the media for these 15-minute cities. What is it, you say? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. Here, 15-minute city, this is from DNYUZ, where urban planning meets conspiracy theories. You knew it. You knew it was going to come. You knew it was coming your way, didn't you? Well, there you have it. London, it's an old, seemingly innocuous idea among city planners. The closer you live to your workplace, your shops, your schools, and other amenities, the better your quality of life will be. But the concept of so-called 15-minute cities in which life's necessities are only a short walk or bike ride from home does not sound utopian to everyone. To some, it sounds like a restriction on the routine act of driving a car. To others, especially on the far right, couldn't have been anybody else, you know. Because the far left, they 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 want to be so they want to be spend their day in a fucking coffin with a tube up their ass. That's what that that would be great. That they they would find the nobility in that. So it can only ever be the the far right, you know, that would see a conspiracy in this. To others, especially on the far right, it sounds like the first step to draconian government lockdowns that will confine people in their homes. I mean, have we... What? What year was this written? Oh, just a couple of days ago? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, do, do you remember the last couple of years? Regardless, it has become a source of widespread confusion, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. Can't have those. A quick history of the 15 Minute City. The idea behind 15-minute cities is not a new one. It is familiar to anyone who has strolled around the historic villages of Europe or remembers bustling main streets in the United States before the post-war sprawl that arrived with the interstate system. More recently, developments that market themselves as places to live, work, and play have helped breathe new life into America's inner cities. In 2012, Portland, Oregon adopted a a plan for 20-minute neighborhoods in which residents could live within a half a mile of amenities such as grocery stores, parks, and elementary schools. The concept gained new momentum during the pandemic, which altered both the daily lives of millions of newly cooped up commuters, as well as the idea of a future urban design. Proponents say 15-minute cities are healthier for their residents and for the environment, as they encourage walking and discourage a reliance on cars. Discourage independence. That's really what I see it as. Uh, I mean, uh, towns, city. There's everything. You get you get everything in a town, but as far as cities, a 15 minute city, everything inside of a city. Well, I, I mean, that's that's why city blocks used to be used to reflect a lot of the people there. You go, you walk a few city blocks, and sometimes the culture can change completely. And these are things that the reason why it's so suspicious is these are things that happen on its own. This kind of development usually happens spontaneously because it's logical. So it's just, it's just, I want to know what you, you think about it because just like everything else, just like everything else, it's a product of the time we live in and everything is pushing a message 
Everything is trying to right some sort of a perceived wrong. Everything is trying to flip the script and make and, and, and something or other about equity and forcing, you know, equity over here and equity over there. Equity. That means just everybody gets the same. Rationing and then bludgeoning us over the head about how our presence on this earth is a blight on the earth. Constantly walking us back from thinking and realizing and and, and understanding that we are made for the earth and the earth for us. So it's, again, if there is any redeeming qualities in this, I don't know exactly what it is because when we build cities and towns and villages, it's usually what happens. Every town, every village has a village square or a main street where you have most of your shops, you have your post office, anything. It's all there. Sometimes it takes a little while. If you live in, in, uh, in rural areas, mountain towns, it takes a little while for you to get into town sometimes. You have to, you have to travel 15 minutes, 20 minutes on a, on, a, uh, on a country road to get into where everything else is. And I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's just all a part of living where you want to be. And what you are, uh, you're you're willing to, what you're willing to go through, and how you're willing to live. But is the idea actually catching on? They asked the question. So it would seem. And responding to the challenges posed by the pandemic and climate change, <laughs> see, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. A number of cities around the world have adopted policies inspired by 15-minute model, aiming to improve their livability and sustainability. Always watch out when you hear sustainable living. Uh, Of the most aggressive efforts has been in Paris, where before the pandemic, Mayor Anne Hidalgo effectively declared war on cars in an effort to reduce their planet warming emissions. Later made the idea of 15-minute city the centerpiece of her successful re-election campaign in 2020. Of one of her advisors, Carlos Moreno, a French academic popularized the model of the 15-minute city and outlined three key features for a TED Talk in 2020. The first is the rhythm of the city should follow humans, not cars. Second, each square meter should serve many different purposes. Finally, neighborhoods should be designed so that we can live, work, and thrive in them without having to constantly commute elsewhere. I don't know how, again, you could affect that kind of control because you have to assume that you know exactly what everybody in that city block or within a couple of blocks wants and needs, how they work, what they, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Are you going to mandate that there's going to be a grocery store every other block? There's usually a couple on, a, a couple on every city block. Coffee shops, what else do you need? I, don't, I just don't get it. No, and nobody goes into the real... Um, the real details. They talk about this wonderful thing where everything is right at your fingertips, but I don't know. Uh, seems a little bit out of reach. A little bit out of reach here. So why are some people afraid of 15-minute cities? It's that first part, a focus on people rather than cars. That has driven some recent pushback as 15-minute cities replace COVID lockdowns and mask wearing as the latest perceived threat to personal freedoms, at least among some people. I mean, you just said it right there. You could say it's a a perceived 
switcheroo, but 15-minute cities replace lockdowns and mask wearing. Well, um, during the lockdowns, they wasted no time in pointing out how the absence of people was leading to much more clearer horizons. That national parks were, were being revitalized, that, that animals were coming back, that, that smog was being reduced. It was, uh, it was one thing, one thing after another. And really, again, it's about deindustrialization. Deindustrialization. Because effectively, if we get to an endgame scenario here, the biggest companies in the world and all of their subsidiaries, they're going to be the only ones in business providing whatever the hell they can, whatever is approved to provide to a vastly reduced number of people on the planet. And everybody is going to be chipped up, whether it be in their passports, their phones, or the chips in their head and their arms. And that is going to be part of the Internet of Things, which is what was the basis of the smart cities. Everything in the city was a data collection uh, program. Everything was part of a data collection program on people, where they're going, what they're consuming, uh, you name it. So when uh, we did a lot of that years ago, I hear less and less about smart cities these days, but this sounds very much like it. Jordan uh, Peterson, the psychologist and commentator who is widely critical of the modern left and runs a popular YouTube channel, has warned of idiot tyrannical bureaucrats deciding whether people can drive and said 15-minute cities are, quote, just another fad hijacked by wannabe authoritarians. Yeah, yeah. People who, again, have to assume or presume to know, have perfect knowledge over what everybody everybody in a city or a town needs, wants, and that's it. They have to know everything. There's no, there's no variables, ever. Last month on Twitter, Mr. Peterson pointed to a report from C40 Cities, a group of 96 cities around the world working to mitigate the effects of climate change, that said any city where a private vehicle is necessary to get around is likely to be fundamentally unequal. <laughs> I mean, listen to that. Listen to that right there. How scary that shit is. Any city where private vehicles necessary to get around is is likely to be fundamentally unequal. So all you bus drivers, all you taxi drivers, all you Uber drivers, everybody, public transit, trains, subways, it's all over. Done. Done. Unequal, because because if somebody has a private vehicle, that means somebody else doesn't have a private vehicle, and there's no way they can get to work. There's no public transit, obviously. There's no way. There's no way they can get to work. The concept of 15-minute cities has also been caught up in a broader conspiracy theory about efforts to remake society as the world emerges from the pandemic. The focus of many of those theories is an effort by the World Economic Forum called the Great Reset. The initiative began in 2020 with the help of cinematic video narrated by the Prince of Wales, now King Charles III, who called for a bold imaginative action in pursuit of more equitable and sustainable future. But the far-reaching and vague plan from the group, it's not vague at all. A non-governmental organization best known for its annual meetings of business leaders in Davos, Switzerland, soon became fodder for concerns, some more reasonable than others, and unelected global elites using the pandemic to reorder life as we know it. There is nothing vague. 
nothing vague. There's too much information. There are there are two. I mean, you have you have the fourth industrial revolution. You have the great narrative, the great reset. The guy he publishes books over and over again. He just said again his 2015 book that he put out about the the Klaus Oyster Man. The 2015 book he put out about the fourth industrial revolution. Everybody laughed at him for being science fiction. You can say, oh, well, it's science fiction-y and it's utopian in its vision. But now oh, we're sitting on the advent of all of those technologies from AI to the metaverse to uh, the cybernetics and everything else that they are talking about there. It's all there. The chipping, it's all there. The digital currency, it's all there. It's, it's, it's ready for the transition. And then at their world government summit, they're saying, well, uh, we, we, we got to move this transition along pretty quickly because we have an entire planet to change. They keep saying it over and over again with great specificity. They have, they, they talk about it constantly. Klaus Schwab even said, as we, we played it once or twice, that not only is this not science fiction, but to control these technologies, which all of his friends at the non-governmental organization do, you can quite possibly become the master of the world. So, I mean, I, I don't know what these idiots at DNYUZ are doing and saying that it's, it's a vague a vague plan. There's nothing vague about it. The Davos group itself later acknowledged in a video that the Great Reset branding has gone down well. And that it sounded as if it was uh, masking some nefarious plan for world domination. No, it's not nefarious for them because they're getting they're making out with the world. That's it. That's what they that's what they get out of this. They get the world. So it's not nefarious for them. That's why they can laugh about it. And and we, of course, have no recourse. So that's uh that's a little bit what's going on there. Now, over on Brownstone, over on Brown and there's more. There's, there's other articles like this, MSN, the 15-minute city, how Ireland, how Ireland's conspiracy theorists grew to fear an urban planning concept. You can uh, you skim through this. You can probably find a, a couple of couple of QAnon references. I'm sure something's in there. Let's see. Is there any QAnon references? Let's Control F. Let's see. Where's Q? Anon shows up. No. Wow. They refrained. Oh, this probably did. Good for them. Good for them. Here's the Brownstone Institute, though. This is what we'll leave with on the uh, on this side of the the intermission, and then we'll take your calls for the second half. The real threat of 15-minute cities. This is by John McGillian. The Guardian's Oliver Wainwright recently discussed the new international socialist conspiracy that has taken the world by storm. Fringe forces of the far left, he noted, are plotting to take away our freedom, to be stuck in traffic jams, to crawl along clogged ring roads and trawl the streets in search of a parking spot. See, see, we're, we're, we're backwards. They're progressive. In the name of this chilling global movement, he asked, sarcastically and somewhat contemptuously, the 15-minute city. Wainwright believes that these cities are simply part of a mundane planning theory. Well, he's wrong. After a few days, uh, a few days after Wainwright's piece was published, three academics called 15-minute cities the hottest conspiracy theory of 2023. 
In a truly elitist manner, they poke fun at those who dared to question the motive behind 15-minute cities. One needed to be a card-carrying QAnon member, well, there's one, to have fears over these Trojan-like creations. But before going any further, it's important to get our definitions in order. As the political scientist Kelly M. Greenhill has noted, not all conspiracy theories are wacky, and not all conspiracy theories are wrong. Take the Watergate conspiracy theory, for instance, or the fact that Edith Wilson made most of the executive decisions after her husband, President Woodrow Wilson, suffered a stroke. Quite often, conspiracy theories turn out to be accurate. Also known as smart cities. Okay, well, there you go. The 15-minute city are places where everything imaginable from your place of work to your favorite pizzeria is accessible either by foot or by bike, not by car, though. They will be verboten in 15 minutes or less. What's so bad about this, you might ask? On first inspection, very little. We are, after all, creatures of comfort. We live in a world where the mantra, too long, didn't read, now reigns supreme. We crave convenience. We crave expediency. However, expediency isn't always a good thing. Sometimes it's downright dangerous. This is especially true when people, either consciously or otherwise, trade their freedom for ease of access to certain services. 15-minute cities may make it easier for citizens to get from A to B, but these creations also make it easier for those in power to spy on us, to harvest our data, and to enable Big Brother to become Bigger Brother. As I write this, 15-minute cities are being actively championed by the World Economic Forum, the group behind the Great Reset and the idea of owning nothing, having absolutely no privacy, and being very happy. This fact alone should concern all readers. Want to discuss the WEF? Too many. To many, I'm sure, 15-minute cities sound incredibly cool, but don't be fooled by the name. FMCs are actually smart cities. As I have noted elsewhere, the word smart is really just a synonym for surveillance. These ultra-modern, tech-saturated monstrosities use hundreds of thousands of sensors to vacuum up copious amounts of personal data. 15-minute city policies are currently being rolled out in cities such as Barcelona, Bogota, Melbourne, Paris, and the dystopian wasteland known as Portland. What do these cities have in common? Surveillance technology. Between now and 2040, cities right across the United States and beyond are predicted to spend trillions of dollars on the installation of additional cameras and biometric sensors. Sure, surveillance is bad now, but as Randy Bachman famously hollered, you ain't seen nothing yet. By 2050, more than that's a big that's a big coming out party year. More than two thirds of the world's population will live in closely surveilled urban centers, like glorified rats in cramped cages. Contrary to popular belief, we no longer live in a a, a, a panoptic society where, when Jer, uh, Jeremy Bentham, the English philosopher and social theorist, put forward the idea of this prison system, there was no internet. In truth, there weren't even cars. Now. We live in a post-panoptic world, a digital panopticon, if you will, with huge social media platforms collecting personal data before selling it to the highest bidder. The companies running these platforms often work closely with government officials, identifying supposed sinners and punishing them with the sw- in swiftest of manners. Here's your social credit score. As the writer Kylie Lynch has noted, these companies know absolutely everything about you. They have instant access to your browser history, your activity online, and now, rather worryingly, even your biometrics. Not surprisingly, these big tech companies will have a big impact on 
15-minute cities of the future by providing the underlying digital infrastructure needed to monitor us and ensure mass compliance. 15-minute cities are wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't believe the countless stories telling you otherwise. It has become common for elitist mainstream outlets to poke fun at those who dare to question the we-have-your-best-interests-at-heart narratives. We have been burned too many times before. That was by John McGillian. So uh, another good one from the Brownstone Institute. And I'm just going to leave that for you for this short intermission. When we come back, for the rest of the way, it'll be about 20 minutes of your uh, calls and your super chats, and then we're going to get off uh, around 8:27, so I can start a book club. I want to take your calls on this, and uh, and see what you have to see what you have to say. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Quite frankly. 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 Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Let's get right into this. Let's get right on into this because I just can't wait to see what you guys have for me. So I asked everybody on Twitter today, well, everybody who can see my Twitter, would you ever live in a 15-minute city? Yes or no? Why or why not? Uh, Obviously, it was just across the board. What, are you kidding me? No. There's really great things in here, though. Something like this. Uh, Christine says, I used to think it would be fun to live in a small town, a place where I could ride or walk a bike everywhere, farmers markets, work, etc. Walking and biking everywhere would lead to more public leisure and interaction with locals. Globals have hijacked this good idea. No, but that's the thing. They have not. They haven't. 
What they're trying to do with a 15-minute city is turn it into a human terrarium, just like that line project in Saudi Arabia where they want to put everybody into a glass wall, you know? I think that that, that small-town life that you're talking about, Christine, is definitely something that I still, I still love and I want to be a part of. Um, my town used to feel a lot smaller than it is now. Now it's just like rats stacked on top of rats. It's, it's uh, very crowded. It's two square miles, my town. But if you uh, if you needed to get from one side of the other, one side to the other in a car, especially on a Saturday afternoon, you better block off twenty minutes at least. It's um, it's incredible. So, I love all these these uh, responses, great responses, and I I encourage you all to go to the the at political orgy. Twitter and get into that thread and, and talk to people. That's the best thing about threading is you get to talk to people. Um, let's get into the super chat. Let's see. Stostube says, Frank, wonderful day today. Here at the Stube family household, would you do me a pleasure of wishing an amazing happiest birthday to my littlest one turning eight today? Happy birthday to the wonderful, amazing, beautiful, charismatic, and intelligent Lalia. We love you. Oh, what? That sounds amazing. Happy birthday, darling. That's great. Eight. Oh, it's so wonderful. Great family life. Miles says, Frank, I've seen you're starting to produce shorts. They need to be cropped in a uh, uh, cropped in a bit as they are cut off a bit on screen. Just trying to help them succeed. Looking for an iPhone 13 Pro Max. Thank you. Uh, Al Gorbachev, who is, uh, has been helping me greatly with all of my, uh, my editing needs and stuff like that. Uh, he's helped me throw, oh, actually, no, no, those were not him. I'm sorry, Al, that's not you. That is the other, the other place. I gotta tell Abe about that. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. The other place. We're trying to find ways to just get a massive amount of content made for the two hours that I do every night. It's like I should be, 43% of the internet should be quite frankly content at this point. And it's just, it's frustrating, but we're trying. Let's see here. Let's see here. Don't stop me. Don't, oh, don't stop me, Smee. Don't try to stop me, Smee. Try to stop me. So I just subscribed. It's been mooching for too long. Opening segments rival Rush and Art. Keep it up. Don't forget about the Gen X. We've got you. Wow, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Smee. Thank you. That's wonderful. All right, let's go on over to Foxhole. Okay, Jesse, thank you so much. Tempo says, Timothy and Matt, if you're listening, for the love of God, do not travel to the UK. Oh, my gosh. You're right. They'll never come back. Porpoiseful, thank you. Boys Blanc, Patriot Game, Chai Possum says, here's one cookie for two cans. Now everybody's scamming each other. They're pulling Abbott and Costello scams on each other. Thank you, Delona, Susie Q, and Boyce Blanc says, I'm going to be an optimistic dick. 30 plus gay anniversary and own a nursery. I feel safe from dem zombies. Wait, wait, 30 plus gay anniversary and own a nursery? I feel safe from dem zombies. Is that a rap song? Was that hip hop? I, I'm totally lost with that one, but thank you. 
All right, over on to Rumble. A oh, P, uh, PDR111 with a great act of generosity. Says, hi, Frank. My weekend was special. I woke up. Something inexplicable happened. Something painful inside got better. I'm suddenly interested in the meaningful conversation without waking people up. Suddenly interested in meaningful conversation without waking people up. I would love to know a little bit more of what you what you mean about that PDR, but I do know what you're talking about sometimes having those those mornings where you 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 rise from bed and there's just a little bit something different buzzing through you. And and you just want it to put it you want to put it to work because you know just like everything else in life that is fleeting, you don't want this to pass without putting it to work. So then you start wondering, oh my, okay, what do I do first? Do I go out and have an inspired workout? And will the good workout lead into a, a more healthy, then the workout leads to a better mindset. You're kind of focused. You get all that black energy wrung out of you. You kind of just good amount of resistance. You just ring it out. And then you start going to work. And then from there, I don't know. It's a wonderful, wonderful day when that happens. It should happen more often. And uh, perhaps it will. Perhaps it will, but I'm happy for you, PDR. Email me, though, because I want to know exactly what you're talking about. That's what we have. 914-595-6953. Let's see what people have to say about this. 608, just drop the call. 914-595-6953. First one up is 608. You're on the air. Who's this? Oh, hi. This is Jenny. Jenny, how are you? Do you live in a smart city right now? Do I have a what, sir? Do you, do you live in a smart city? I live in a very liberal city. Do, uh, is it a Madison, city? Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> hey, do you know if this is a city that has made any kind of remarks about wanting to adopt any of these 15-minute policies? Uh, I, You know, I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. Well, never mind me. What's on your mind? What's, I wanted to talk to Frank very briefly about um, his robot feature that he did, making these sculptures. Okay. Because I think there's a missing piece of the puzzle, and that is that um, I still, even though I'm sick of them well, me, blaming me for global warming, well, hold on, I let, still let, let me get, get Matt Geo. I got you. I got you. Let me put you through it, Frank. Just wait on a second, okay? Thank you. Okay. Hello, hello. Who do we got here? Hi there, Frank. Who's this, this is Jenny calling. How are you? Jenny, I can't wait to hear what you got for me tonight. You sound very lovely. Oh, thank you very much. Listen, I won't keep you. I know it's a short show tonight. I want to say first, before I say anything, you mm. have got a beautiful family, oh. and you are all blessed to have each other. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and you just take your time. Let me know what you have to say. All I want to say is that I... Um, still getting that geo, even though I'm sick of being blamed for global warming. <laughs> yeah. And when you were talking about the um, robot making the sculptures, I think there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing, and that is that um, there's a 32-page spread in their uh, March 23 issue, and 
there's a photo in there of this robot that you showed a photo of tonight, and it's pointing right at a horse's nose. And the caption on the photo says, a group of artists and researchers is creating exact replicas of Parthenon sculptures to encourage the British Museum to return the originals to Greece. Here, Frederico, Ag- I'll, I'll butcher this, Agostinelli monitors work on a horse head at facility in Carrera, Italy. And the funny thing is, you can't find anything in this 32-page spread about this robot, but it's all about the money. And the whole premise of this 32-page spread is getting treasures back to countries where they were looted from, whether World War II or if I had a dime for every time this article said colonization, I'd be rich. Uh, you know, there, there's something, ah, I don't even know what to make of that because there's something, uh, there's some good points there. I mean, there's a lot that has been looted, especially by the British, uh, that, that just literally does not belong to them, especially from all the, the ancient, uh, a lot of the ancient artifacts and things that have been taken out of the Middle East with all of our gallivanting True. out there. So, oh, well, you put it that way, I'm like, huh, I mean... If Greece wants something I think, back, I, I don't know. That, 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 I think, Frank, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that what they want to do is say, okay, Frank, you can go to a museum and you can see the real deal, but if you can't get there, you can see it someplace else. And so we won't have one of a piece. We'll have umpteen. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's one of the, I did not consider that, and there is something not totally... That's not to be totally dismissed, that to be able to make duplicates of priceless works of art so that perhaps some countries and cultures can be uh, can can reacquire uh, pieces that had been uh, maybe taken under dubious conditions. That, that, that'd be an interesting thing there. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know that it was funny because I saw that photo and I couldn't understand why it wasn't in the article. And then there you you showed it. So I do agree that a lot of these pieces should get taken back. But I'll let you go. I really love your show. Um, my brother got me on to you, and your show is just amazing. Well, thank you. And and please tell tell your brother that I said hello and and thank you. Uh, thank him for turning you on to me too. Okay, you have a great night. All right, you too. And, and email the show anytime you want. That'd be great to hear hear from her. Um, and let me also just broad stroke and say that not everything that the, the, that the Brits have in their museums is stolen. Uh, a lot of things are saved. A lot of things are saved. And uh, perhaps if if the originating cultures and countries and parts of the world may want to have a bid to bring them all back if there's a if things are more stable and they're not being destroyed by some new caliphate that comes in or anything else i mean there's there's a lot there not to broad stroke anything there's a lot has been done to preserve history as well so but that's just an, an interesting that that's an interesting application for this type of technology uh, cuz obviously it's outside of the uh, the outside of the bounds of what we were talking about in the opening with it being a form of creating new art but to duplicate old art to be to to make it easier for people to have things on display and i don't know especially since you have so many art vandals that are out there all these goofy environmentalists that, that show up and throw, you know, creamed corn on on uh, paintings and everything else because they, they want to turn the thermostat of the world down. 
That's an interesting take. Let's go. 585, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, this is Zachary. Zachary, what's going on? Uh, not too much, frankly. Just uh, calling. Well, I was going to say something on the uh, art, the art reproduction. Go ahead. I mean, isn't that kind of just a step up from photography? To just have a 3D representation? Well, I mean, no. I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, perhaps photography would be a photography might play a part in how the computers are able to render uh the render what is going to be the 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 finished product and actually give the machines some kind of coordinates and 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 uh i don't know commands to go out there and oh, create this i mean one the in like the last caller was saying in the um in the idea of having duplicate versions of a piece that exists through the because oh, because I was kind of more against it, and then she was saying, "Oh, you can have a piece recreated in this." Right. And I know that the Thinker is one of the most famous uh, sculptures in existence now because there were multiple versions of it created, so it was able to be in multiple locations at once, and a lot more people were able to witness the live. Oh, no doubt about the it. Sculpture, no doubt about it. And and obviously, I, I it it stands to reason that there is. It's a lot easier to duplicate a uh, picture than a marble sculpture, so I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you'd probably be a lot. Probably the task wouldn't be as daunting to do the first, but yeah, uh, from a duplication standpoint, I didn't even consider that. That would be all right, but then, yeah, then that again, was interesting. but it creates a separate conversation altogether, right? You know, where where you say. Oh, definitely. You say, "All right, well, we're going to duplicate something for posterity. We want to put the, uh, we want to put the, you know, something from Michelangelo over. We want the David or something in in this new uh, museum in in New York City or in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or whatever." And but then there's yeah. something about creation of new pieces, you know. Uh, it's and, and that that also goes into this new thing of AI generated art in general, which is odd. And uh, it's a little spooky in ways, but it does create some provocative imagery that has got me uh, w looking at it and analyzing it and just, I don't know, it, it, it definitely invokes stuff inside of me. Yeah. Well, and, well I mean, that's the whole thing. I, was just, I wanted to say more on the actual topic before we get lost in the AI and all that art. Um, Jay, who you're doing the book club with in just a little while now, uh, he just did a stream last night. On Future Shock, a Jason, uh, Jason George, uh, I can't think of his name. You know, Pinky in the Brain, the Peas commercial. Oh, yeah. The, the actor. It just went out of my mind. We all know who he is. Uh, Future Shock was a documentary, uh, and it's in the same sort of vein of the 15-minute city now. It's in um, how all of these things are predictions, quote-unquote, of what might happen in the future when it's really uh, calling your shot. It's, it's you know, problem, uh, creation, create the problem and offer the solution. And the 15-minute city uh, is it, within that same sort of vein. They had these, the lockdowns. They had all, all of these sorts of things that set up all the dominoes in a row uh, to knock over, to set up these systems of control. And uh, Jay just did a stream on that last night, the Orwell documentary uh about this uh orson wells there it is um the orson wells future shock documentary uh calling their shots 
the social engineering behind all of these things. Well, you know, it, it's probably going to go. It, it'll definitely spill on over into tonight's conversation in, in the book club, but it also is a, is a yeah. big part of what we're doing right here, right now. I mean, it, it's, uh, anybody who's been reading along the first three chapters of Brave New World, you see that aside from showing how humanity has been reduced to a biochemical and, in, in, uh, you know, uh, commodity, just a industrialized, create whatever, then there's the conditioning aspect. And it's not even just the conditioning of children from a, a small uh, a, a very young point in their development but it's also social conditioning on the grand scale where you are removing every every statue and every reference to the past around the world where in, in the in in like chapter two or three they even have a reference there saying that there used to be things called the pyramids they actually after thousands of years of the pyramids standing they wanted to make sure that there was no reference to the past uh, to past iterations of human civilization prior to the state and the state control, that they even got rid of the pyramids. So it's to, to yeah, say, brick by brick. yeah, brick by brick, you see it. The uh, the erasing, the erasing, the destruction, and then uh, the replacing. That's that is the cycle that we're on here. Thanks for the call, Zachly. My pleasure. Take, Have a good night. Take care. Okay, I hope his name was Zachly, and yeah, not something else. I hope I wasn't calling him Zachley. Like, you know, a, a case of the Zachleys. Ever hear that? Ever have a case of the Zachleys before? Let's see. All right. 914-595-6953. I just had a couple of callers. I went to click them in, and then they were gone. Let's see what else is going on. Over here on... Oh, shoot. I was just trying to update ourselves over here. There's a whole bunch of movement now on pill.net. NJSF says, uh, there is some art inherent in coding craft. Programming is two-layer communication. And I did not want to discount that. That there is something in being a creator of a machine, something in a digital, digital mechanical uh, way, and to have that thing by extension create a highly detailed piece of art, especially out of a material like marble on your behalf. Does the computer at that point, because it was your hand that wrote the code, is that, is that your art? I think so. I mean, anybody who's a graphic artist that has created uh, animations or anything else and has put their, their time into things, um, you, but you do it on, on computer, if you are able to create a way for that to be expressed by way of a machine and uh, highly pressurized water that is going to chip away at granite or, or marble, I mean, is, is, doesn't that become your brush in a way? I mean, it'll never be as legit as actually going and, and chiseling it away or, or, or putting the bristles to canvas yourself. But I don't know. There's something that can't be totally discounted. It just starts getting a little bit more cheap. Hate to put it that way, but that's that's how I feel. Uh, let's see, Gina from South Carolina. Hello. Hello, Gina. Go right ahead. Oh, hey. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Hey, Frank. I was thinking about um, the with the 15 minute cities. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how it would. Um, really destroy 
um, like free market commerce and competition because if if you know like if you only had a couple of stores to choose from in your I guess in your 15 minute range I mean that would kind of suck you know but this is what I don't, I don't get this is what I don't get you're talking about 15 minute city so are you taking are you going to take a uh, a city like Portland and just convert it and then, and then, what are you going to turn it into? Like, what, what? How is it? How is city life going to change, in any way, shape, or form? If you have to leave Portland to go into the suburbs, and then beyond there, you start going. I mean, if you have to go someplace, you have to go someplace. Uh, I know that city. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cities already they have to have everything that a person living in the city is going to need in a tightly packed city square. So. It really all comes down to what's the one thing that's really changing here, and it's going to be all the different ways that they're going to collect data. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, somebody shows me the mandates say you need to have a you need to have a juice bar, you know, every seventh store, or you or you need to. Ha- I don't know what the mandates are going to be like if we ever see how some cities are doing it and what they are um, what they're requiring, but. The whole point of a city is that you you need to have everything in one place because people, by and large, are going to be driving less and less, and and, and that's just the case because cities are 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 you know, the lifeblood of a city is public transit. Not everybody in New York City owns a car. That would be ridiculous. There's eight million people there. It's a small island, so uh, it's uh, you, you bring up a good point. I just I just don't know what the hell they're going to do because. To make to to put these smart city regulations onto villages and you know mid-sized towns that makes no sense either because we have our farmers markets we we have we have uh, Main Street we have the the coffee shops and and everything else so so really what is new here it's all the technology it's all it's a it's a, a way to just fit every major population center on earth and then trickle down to the suburbs and the rural areas to fit it all with that kind of that uh, social credit score building technology that they have been pitching us for years now it's just i i don't know any other way that this could work this could shake out yeah i i don't understand it i don't understand what the requirements would be the mandates uh but it just seems like everything would just be standardized and there would just be no variety. There'd be no competition. It would just be just dull. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? I think to my uh, a little bit more there. That's why it so it seems so unbelievable to me, Gina, is because how could you not have competition? How how could you tell somebody you unless you tell them you they cannot leave the city center? You can you must shop here. And you can't leave because if they are free to leave, then we're always going to want to leave. To we're, we're always going to go to places that we have found ourselves, uh, you know, a, a cozy spot to shop, uh, a nice change of scenery. I mean, we're always going to do that stuff. So I don't know how they could even inhibit people from going outside of their 15-minute walk or their 15-minute stroll, inhibit them from doing anything else. First of all, the claustrophobia of that. Where you where you live in 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 oh my gosh the claustrophobia alone is just it's just incredible I don't think that we're going to survive very yeah. long after that 
No, the claustrophobia would be awful. Well, I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank, uh, thanks for taking my call, Frank. It's a great call. Thank you, Gina. Uh, because okay. That's, yeah. Have a wonderful one. It, oh, down there in South Carolina. Because it's uh, it, it brings up, I think, that the, the, the biggest problem I have, that maybe some of you have too, that just it was just hard to articulate it. Cities are already built like this. You can say, no, there's just too many cars. Okay, so there's too many cars. You know why there's too many cars? Because people don't want to walk for 15 minutes. All right? Sometimes a 15-minute walk, some people don't want to do. That's why there are, that's why there's buses. That's why there are, there are subways. It's just impossible to have everything a person would need in 15, 15 minutes. Because what kind of a city? You can apply that to New York City? Nobody can get from one side of New York City to the other in 15 minutes. Ever. So are you just going to take it by neighborhood? Every neighborhood has to be its own 15-minute city. Are you going to break us down into regions now? Are we talking Hunger Games? Districts? At what point? So so where one district ends, is it going to be then, you know, what if you have two coffee shops? on adjoining districts, I, I, I don't, it, it's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But, you know, while we're wondering how they're going to do it, they don't even give a shit about doing it. It's all about, did we did we get them into the program or not? Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you tonight. Tomorrow is going to be another semi-short one because we have band practice. Uh, and I just want to thank you all. Now, if you are going to be watching book club with me right after this if you are a monthly subscriber then you have received already your um your unlisted link either through email or on the patreon or on the subscribe star and uh, i will see you in just a little bit i'm going to get off right now and we're going to go and then see what's going on with Jay Dyer, who should be arriving any moment now. So I want to thank you all. I have Wart Guy says, remember to empty your bladders before book club. Cat Sky D says, my brother-in-law has the mug. I have an affinity for gifting funny mugs for my family. Oh, this mug? Uh, Abe got this for me two Christmases ago. And gifting myself funny t-shirts. Great show as always. You rule. Thank you, Cat. It's great to have you out there. And ladies and gentlemen, it's been great to have you here for this little abridged show. Tomorrow, we'll have some more fun. And the week presses on. All right. With that, you've been wonderful to me. Nighty night. And uh, tell all your family that suggested you to me. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film for a live studio audience. And now our super chatters, starting with Stostube, Miles, and Don't Stop Me, Smee. That's it. Thank you to all my wonderful friends on Foxhole. I just released a scratching over there on QuiteFrankly.tv. It's also going to be Mystery Movie Monday. So we will see you on there soon. We've got some nice Monday programming coming up soon. And thank you to all my friends on Rumble, especially my Rumble ranters. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Take care.